Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Um, I will keep my mic on for podcasting reasons. But um, first off, I, can I just say I'm very happy to be able to see you guys and to be with you guys. Um, have my wisdom teeth cut out on Monday. So I don't have my usual volume, so I don't get to scream at you guys tonight. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Uh, I will be dressed up next week. Um, I don't know what, but it'll be something Disney. So I'll be joining you guys and dressing up, I promise, next week. It was the best I could do to just roll out of bed. Um, April's been taking very good care of me. So thank you for taking care of me. I love you. Um, so um, we're, we're starting this series tonight. It's called Making a Murderer. How many of you, there's like a crime drama that you like to watch? Um, any NCIS fans? Okay, what about CSI? Criminal Minds, any Criminal Minders? That's one of my favorites. Have any of y'all watched the documentary on Netflix called Making a Murderer? That's pretty interesting too. So we have this fascination with the minds of killers. I don't know what that says about our country, right? That we, we are so interested in the minds of killers. But what we thought is for our Spirit Night series, let's look at the minds of killers in the Bible. Let's look at the minds of murderers in the Bible. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking into the minds of some famous murderers in the Bible. I'll go ahead and tell you what three murderers we're going to be looking into. First, tonight we're going to look into Pharaoh. Pharaoh murdered an entire generation of Hebrew male infants in Exodus 1. We're going to look into his mind tonight. Next week, we're going to look at the mind of King David. He murdered a man named Uriah in cold blood. Then the third, this is maybe the most interesting, I mean, they're all very interesting, but this one's like incredible um, as far as killers go. Um, It's a husband and wife killer murderer duo, um, Herod and Herodias. They murdered John the Baptist and served his head on a platter to their daughter. So that's going, to be, <laughs> that's going to be the final one to seal the deal. So tonight, and we're going to be looking at the motives of these murderers, right? Because the first thing you need when you're solving a murder is what was the motive? And yet, while we're doing that, we're having fun with, we're doing this fake murder at Lewis, right? And, and Pastor's been so awesome to kind of like go along with it. And he, he actually volunteered himself to be murdered. <laughs> so you can see, and so we're trying to find the murderer of Pastor. So we have all these like nefarious suspects lined up here. Um, and the first thing we're trying to figure out is who had motive and what could the motive have been. So tonight we're going to look at the first motive of murder in the Bible. And the first motive of murder in the Bible that we find is the motive of fear. So we're going to talk, be talking about fear tonight. So first I want to ask you, what are some irrational fears that you have? Um, a lot of people are afraid of clowns. How many of y'all are afraid of clowns, especially now where there's these killer clowns going around? What are some, like... Fears that you have, maybe they're kind of on the irrational side. Escalators. <laughs> Anybody else have an irrational fear? Who here is afraid of spiders? Okay. What are some other? What are some other fears? Come on. Chase is afraid of geese. <laughs> Allie. Heights. Birds. Anybody else afraid of birds? Can we? Well. We will be moving the clown here here pretty soon. Um, we have one more. Sl- yeah, can you go back to the title slide, Jake? We seem to have an issue with the clowns here. Uh, <laughs> um, everybody better now? So we're talking about first irrational fears. Like in all actuality, clowns can't really kill you until the year 2016, right? This is, this, that's new. But 
clowns can't really kill you. Spiders, I mean, you squash them, right? So there's some irrational fears we have. But then, then there are some very real fears that we have, some things that, that actually kind of, other than clowns, even though some of you are scared of clowns, but there's some real, like serious things that you're afraid of. Um, how many of y'all, there is something coming up on Saturday. I'm not talking about homecoming, but there's something coming up on Saturday that starts with an A and ends with a CT that you're a little concerned about. Anybody else? ACT? Um, big test kind of determines the rest of your future, or so they tell you. Um, some of you, you know the grades aren't going to look real good this year, so you dread when your parents can get online or get the report card and see those grades. Anybody like that? Um, for some of you, it's something even more serious. For some of you, you have a family member or you have a friend that is critically ill. They have something like cancer or they have a chronic illness that, that they're not guaranteed tomorrow. And, and we, you live in fear of maybe losing that person that you love so much. Some of you are afraid of what you have to deal with at school. There are a couple people at school that make your life terrible. And it's like their mission, as soon as they see you at school, to make you feel this big. So you walk the halls in fear of running into that person. There are some real fears. I mean, there's some things that we joke about, like clowns. But there's some, there's some things that we, we, really, we really fear. And, and the question is, the question is, why is fear so important that we're talking about it on murder night, Right? Why, why is it so important? Well, it's because this is the, one of the first motives we find for murder in the Bible. We're going to look at the story of a, guy named, of, of a guy named Pharaoh. That was actually his title. And he didn't just murder one person. He murdered every newborn that was Hebrew, that was a certain race in his country. He had them put to death as soon as they were born, every male Hebrew. Why would he do that? What we're going to learn over the course of the next few weeks is that the only thing that really separates the murderers, the killers, and from us is how we manage our sin. Because what you'll find tonight and the next, th- the next two nights is the same thing that was going in the, on in the heart of that murderer, a lot of times we find going on in our hearts. So it's, it's, it's serious stuff. We're having fun, but it's also serious stuff. So if you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 2. You can go to the third slide now, Jake, and, and, and skip over the creepy clown. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about, uh, first we're going to talk about a guy named Joseph. And by the way, who here is an artist, likes to draw? Like, these are the best pictures I could find uh, for some of these Bible time things. So if you're an artist, can I just tell you, the Christian community really needs you so we don't have lame pictures. You know, like, like I don't know why, like, we feel like, as Christians, like, everything has to be second rate. Like, we need some good artists to draw some really better depictions of this, <laughs> of, of Bible events than what we see up here. So if you're, a, if you're an artist, I'm just going to get, like, on my hands and knees and beg you, like, contribute to the Christian community because we really need your help. So that's, but that's, the, that's, that's the little commercial there. But um, if, if you you haven't read the Bible a lot, or you know, I don't assume everyone here knows all the chronology of the Bible, so let me kind of explain to you. You know, God creates the earth, so that's like way over here, right? And he creates two people. What are their names? This is really like the Bible in a nutshell up until this point. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They sin against God. So what does God promise? He promised he's going to send a Savior. A couple things happen. God floods the earth. Noah is the only righteous man. 
So Noah and his family, they survive. Um, from Noah, he has three sons, and his three sons go in three different directions, and they start repopulating the earth. The earth is still sinful. The earth is still against God. They're still waiting for the Savior. So God comes to a man in Genesis chapter 12 and makes him a promise. Anybody want to tell me who that man was? starts with, it's the name of a president, Avery. Abraham, or Abram. So, so he comes to this man called Abram. There wasn't anything necessarily special about this man other than the fact that he had faith in God. He was a righteous man. He wasn't perfect. But he promised this man named, Abraham, he, man named Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. He gives him a, a threefold promise. I'm going to make you a, into a great nation. I will give you this land, this Canaan land, this land that he was in, and all nations through on the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. So he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah are both in their 90s, and they have no kids. So I don't know if you've had a health class yet at school, but two nine-year-old people aren't going to come together and make a great nation, right? It's just not, biology says that ain't going to happen. But what God does is nothing short of a miracle. Abraham and his wife Sarah, in their late 90s, have one son, and his name is Isaac. I mean, that's a great start, right? He, he, God promises Abraham his, his, his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, and he gives them one kid, and the kid almost dies. <laughs> but that one kid named Isaac, see, this is the picture of the 90-year-old parents over here. See that one in the middle? And then this one got stretched out from one version of a Mac to another. But this is supposed to be the picture of Isaac. With his, He had two sons. One son's name was Esau, and one son's name was Jacob. And through um, Isaac's son Jacob, Jacob, he, gets real, he, he starts working real hard on this, this promise of, of making a great nation because he takes two wives. He's a, he's a go-getter. <laughs> he takes two wives, and through those two wives, he has 12 sons and even more daughters. So he has 12 sons plus some other daughters. And you know how parents always say, yeah, there's, yeah, if you live in a family with multiple siblings, I don't play favorites. We're all like, yeah, right. Yes, you do. You know, you, you, that's the, we, we know it happens, right? And, and Joseph, or Jacob made no bones about it. His son Joseph was his favorite. So he did all these things to kind of prove to the other brothers that Joseph was his favorite. And kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was, well, it's two things. First, uh, Jacob made Joseph this beautiful coat. So all the, you know, all these other brothers, they're going down to Goodwill, and they're getting coats for like $2. And then um, Jacob takes Joseph up to Columbus and buys him like one of those white girl North Face coats. And, um, and they're all like really jealous. And then Joseph said, oh, by the way, guys, I had a dream where you're all bowing down to me. So they're like, okay, that's it. We're going to sell our brother into slavery. So, don't some of you wish you had that option these days, you know? Traveling caravan comes through, going to sell my brother into slavery. But that's what they do. Joseph gets sold into slavery, but God uses it for his glory because when Joseph gets sold into slavery, they take him to a land of Egypt, and at that time, Egypt was the world power. They were the world power in, it's called the Mesopotamian region. They were the world power, and Joseph by being righteous and submitting to God and obeying God, he rises to second in command of the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt. Big deal, right? Then he, moved, he forgives his brothers. He moves his brothers and his father into Egypt with them. And guess what starts happening? They start being fruitful and multiplying. And they, be, they actually do become a pretty huge nation within the nation of Israel. But the Pharaoh, the king of, Israel, of Egypt, he's okay with it because you know what? All these descendants of, of Jacob, they work really hard. 
and they benefit the country. So he's like, okay, it's cool. You guys can stay. You're helping me. I'm helping you. It's a mutually good thing. Well, that Pharaoh passes away. Jacob passes away. Joseph passes away. And that's the end of Genesis. And then we go into this book called Exodus. And we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to read this murder story. Okay? So you can read along with me. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died. Remember all those people? They all died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, like I said, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then to a new king, or a new pharaoh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. So there's a new king in Egypt, and he doesn't care about he doesn't care about Joseph. He doesn't care about what happened before. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with, for- with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to Hebrew, the Hebrew wives, whose names, midwives, whose name were Shipra and Pua. How would you like to have the name Pua, by the way? Um, Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, you see that a baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Midwives, however, they're like, we're not going to kill these kids. So they feared God, did not want to do, and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summarized the, summoned, sorry, I'm having a hard time reading, summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before midwives arrive. So, you know, that's just kind of funny. So God, was kind, so God was kind of midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Think about this. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. That was a river. You must throw into the Nile. But every girl live. Pharaoh, Pharaoh issued a murder decree. He says, every Hebrew boy that is born to you, you must throw into the Nile River. Wow. Do you think Pharaoh just woke up one day and thought, you know, I want to kill a bunch of innocent Hebrew boys? I don't think so, did he? But something happened. It started in his mind and in his heart, and it eventually led to him not just killing one or two people, killing an entire generation of the Hebrew race. How did that happen? I want to make a couple observations um, and and things that we can learn. So I've got five observations from this that have to do with fear. And as we're going through this, I'm just going to warn you, it kind of starts getting more and more personal. Okay? So so just kind of be ready. But the first thing we should learn, and this is kind of like an upbeat one, is that God keeps his promises. You know, one thing I'm glad is that I'm spending the night with you guys, not spending the night like a sleepover, you know what I mean. I'm spending the night with you guys rather than spending the night with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Because you know what, I, I, I haven't been around as long as some people, you know what I've learned? They make a lot of promises, not just them, but pretty much anyone running for office. They make a lot of promises, but how do they deliver on those promises? Usually not very well. A lot of times people will say anything to get elected. Maybe you know people in your life that have broken their promises. 
You know what we learn about God? He keeps his promises. Remember the pro- when we went backwards and we were talking about Abraham and God made that promise to Abraham, you will be a great nation? Well, look at this. When you fast forward and you go to verse 7, it says, The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous, the land was filled with them. Just because you don't see it happening now does not mean God's not going to follow through with his promises. Think about Abraham. He was 90 years old. And he had one kid. <laughs> He's like, God makes me this promise, and all I get is one kid. Where's my nation? You know? But, but God keeps his promises. We don't always see him right away, but he does. So when God makes these promises that say, that say the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in you, you may not feel like that power is in you today, but God promised it, so it's true. When God says, when Jesus said that he's overcome the world, there'll be days when it's really hard to see that going on in your life. But guess what? He promised it, and it's true. So the first thing we learn here, the first kind of like jab we can make at fear, is that we remember that God keeps his promises. Fear wants you to forget that God keeps his promises. So that's, you know, that's just a quick observation. It's just like a little bit of a commercial. So we'll go to the second one, um, because, because I really like the second one. Um, when God moves, you can bet that there's someone who's not happy about it. I've got this picture up here. Uh, I, don't want it, I don't want it to scare you, but this is something that's actually happening. I may have mentioned this before, but there's something incredible going on in schools right now. Um, there have been more Christian clubs started in the past couple years in local high schools than ever before, especially in our region. It's really incredible to see the FCAs and, 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 and those type of things in, in elementary school, the good news clubs. They're blowing up. Because people in schools, you know, students in schools are wanting to hear about God, but you know what's happening? There's some people that aren't very happy about it. So you know what they're starting? They're starting, literally, this is a club that they're trying to get into West Virginia schools. It's called After School Satan, and it's a satanic club where elementary and middle school students learn how to worship Satan. Isn't that terrible? They didn't start it until they saw all these Christian clubs that started and were sharing the good news, and people were getting saved. So you can bet that when God is moving, there's going to be somebody that's not happy about it. Sometimes it's non-Christian. Sometimes it's people that don't believe in God, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw God following through with his promise, and Israel, the Israelites were multiplying and becoming this great nation like God promised, and Pharaoh's like, They look more like a threat than anything else to me. So sometimes it comes from non-believers. Sadly, sometimes it comes from believers. Sometimes it comes from people who, guess what, they're just happy with the status quo. They're like, you know what, I liked it a whole lot better when we didn't have all those middle schoolers in the youth group because I could actually hear myself think. And we forget that God is touching the lives of middle schoolers and high schoolers in our group. So anytime the status quo is challenged, you can bet somebody's not going to be happy about it. Anytime God moves, you can bet somebody's not going to be happy about it. And usually it's motivated out of fear. Usually it's motivated out of fear. So uh, Satan, wants, <laughs> Satan wants to plant that fear in your life. Um, so, so let's not forget about that. We're going to move on to the third one because this one is where the rubber really meets the road. Fear is a cruel taskmaster. You don't have that slide yet? I didn't send you that slide. Okay, well, write this one down, guys, okay? It's, it's been quite a week with the wisdom teeth stuff, and I email my slides in. Fear, because I don't want you to forget this one. Fear is a cruel taskmaster. It really is. Think about what happens here. Read verse 8. It says, Then a new king came, 
and came to power in Egypt, verse 9 says, it says, look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Verse 10, we must deal shrewdly with them or they'll become more numerous than us. Here's something I've noticed. Fear blinded Pharaoh to everything good that had come from the Israelites being in the land. The only thing that Pharaoh could think about was his fear. Because, you know, he sees, right? He sees, I've got this awesome country, the most powerful country in the world, but here's this little group of people over here, and, I mean, they're having babies among babies, among babies, among babies, among babies. They're turning into this huge nation. They could become so big that they could take over my nation, and he let fear blind them. So you know what he had to do? He says, the only way I can stop them is to squash them. Right? The only thing I can stop, the only thing I can do to prevent that from happening is to stop what God is doing in their lives. First off, it's never a good idea to try to go against what God's doing in people's lives. Usually it doesn't work out for you very well because it doesn't work out well when you try to go up against God. But he does. And you know what he realizes? The harder he works these Israelites, the more they multiply. <laughs> And the harder he tries to put his thumb, the, the longer hours they have to work where he's got them enslaved, the more of them keep popping up. It's kind of like the church when the church started spreading and, and the Roman government was trying to squash them down. It was like whack-a-mole. You, know, you, you, you whack one down and two more appear. That's what happens when you try to stop the work of God, by the way. But that's what we see, that's what we see going on. You know what happens? Pharaoh, is the, he's the most powerful man in the world. And you know, What is he driven by? What's he driven by? It's the F word of the night. What is it? Fear. He's driven by fear. Think about that. If you're, some of us think, if I just had a little more skill, or if I just had a little more power, or if I was just a couple inches taller, if my arms were just a couple inches thicker, I wouldn't have to be afraid of anyone. Here you've got the most powerful man in the world, and guess what? He's still afraid. Because when you are living in fear, it, first off, it means you're not trusting God. And when you're not trusting God, there's no way you're never going to be at peace. There's no way you're never going to not be afraid. Because you're always being ruled by fear. It's a cruel taskmaster. And you know what it does? It's not just cruel to you. It causes you to be cruel to others. It does. You know what? You, you, know how you want to know the probably the... I swear I put that slide up there. I don't got Yoda saying fear is the path to the dark side. Okay. I made the slide. But you've heard that, have you heard the quote by Yoda where he, he's talking to Anakin Skywalker and he says, I sense much fear in you. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty much saying you can't become a Jedi. The meanest people, and the, they don't always show it, the cruelest people are usually the people that struggle with fear. They feel threatened. They can't control what's going on in this section of their life, so they're going to try to control somebody else. Does that sound like someone you know? Does that sound like you? Fear is a cruel taskmaster. And here's the problem. If you're someone who struggles with fear, you can't fear your way out of it. You can't be cruel and expect to get out of your fear. No matter how much you try to control other people, no matter how cruel you are to other people, it doesn't make you any less fearful of things around you. It doesn't. And that's what we learn from Pharaoh. First he says, okay, I'm just going to, Make them all slaves. That doesn't work. So he says, I'm going to make their jobs harder. He's still full of fear. Then he says, okay, I'm going to go tell the midwives to kill the kids. He's still full of fear. So then he says, okay, every Hebrew child 
gets, that's born, gets, male child gets thrown in the Nile. You know, he's still afraid. Fear is a cruel taskmaster. Number four, maybe we have a slide for this one. Um, it turns out Pharaoh's greatest, yeah, we got a slide for that one. Woo! Pharaoh's greatest fear was actually the only thing that could save him. Think about this. I've never really thought about this until we've been kind of preparing for this. Pharaoh is so scared of these Israelites. But what was one of the promises God made to Abraham? Through you, what? All the nations of the earth will be what? Blessed. So here's this nation that God promises out of this nation is going to come a Savior. Here is Pharaoh who is a sinner. And what does he need because he's a sinner? What do you need if you're a sinner? You need a Savior, right? So he is trying to squash out the very nation that God has brought to earth to bring about the Messiah who's going to save him. And you know, often, we f- the, the thing in our life that we're the most fearful about is actually the thing that God has in our life that's going to give us purpose, and then it's going to give us meaning, and it's going to give us salvation. It really is. I've learned the thing I'm most fearful about is probably the thing God wants me to attack with the most vengeance. Because that's the door of opportunity that he has for me. We never know what would have happened if Pharaoh would have embraced the Israelites. Obviously, that wasn't in God's plan, but he wants us to learn from it. But it's a, fear is a cruel taskmaster, and the, sometimes the thing you're afraid of the most is the thing that could save you. I wrote down, um, fair, fair, I just can't read. I think it's the medicine. <laughs> uh, fear could be the single greatest reason Americans don't hear the voice of God, because we are a fearful nation. Politicians run on our fear, and they capitalize on our fear, because we are, isn't it, isn't it a paradox that we are the, mo- the richest nation in the world, the most powerful nation in the world, yet we also are one of the most fearful nations in the world? Maybe that's why we struggle to hear the voice of God, because we can't trust God. Fear, fear is a lack of trust of God and a lack of fear of God. Maybe that's why we don't hear the voice of God. And here's the, here's the, here's the fifth thing, and here's the final observation that I want to make. And this, this is the one that I really hope you, you can understand and take home with you. I, if you don't get anything else, please get this. The Israelites may have worn the chains, but Pharaoh was the real slave. Just think about that for a second. The Israelites may have worn the, physically worn the chains, but Pharaoh was the real slave. It is one of the most miserable things to be imprisoned by fear. I'll, I'll be honest, I am one of, I'm somebody who struggles with fear. I look at what's coming up the next day and the day after and a month later and a year later, and I sometimes I get nervous. And you know, that fear that you live in, it's a prison cell. You become a slave. To fear. And you know what happens when you're a slave to fear is every decision you make is filtered, is, is filtered through that fear, and it's run by that fear. And it's no longer you making the decisions. It's no longer the Holy Spirit working through you that makes the decisions. It's your fear that makes the decisions. But what does the gospel say about that? It always comes back to the gospel. What does the gospel say about that? Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received has brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Part of becoming a Christian, I've said this before, 
Yeah, it takes a moment to become a Christian and a lifetime to realize what happens in that moment when you became a Christian. And one of those things you have to realize is before you met Christ, you were in a prison cell of fear. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, He unlocked the cell and He's standing here and He no longer calls you prisoner, He calls you child. And you're a child of God. But you know what we end up doing so often, even though that cell has been unlocked and can never be locked again, is that we stay in that cell and we keep the door closed and we forget who we are in Christ. And we let the fear drive us. And it doesn't just drive us, it drives the people around us because we start acting cruel towards others and we do things that we would never imagine doing, but it's because of our fear. What does being a child of God mean? Well, first off, I wrote a couple things down so I don't forget because I knew I'd be medicated. It means you are known by God even before you were born. How are you going to be afraid if, God, if you know that all your days are planned out by God? Where's the fear in that? You're, it says in Romans, grafted into the family of God. So that, that same family of God that was delivered from the Israelites, you're grafted into. It's very powerful. And here's one of my, here's one of my favorites. When the Israelites escaped from Egypt, God led them out of Egypt under Pharaoh's oppression. That God parted the Red Sea. Like, it, it parted, and they walked across dry ground over a hundred miles. That's your father. Somebody t turn to the person next to you and say, that's my father. That's incredible, isn't it? And here's one of my favorites in, in Romans chapter 8. At the end of this chapter, it says that nothing, neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor powers, can separate you from the love of God. That's some powerful love, isn't it? That's a powerful father. And you know what? I'm tired of being in the prison cell of fear when I have a father over here who wants me to walk and talk and live with him and not be shackled by fear. And it's not just going to affect my life, but it's going to affect the lives of everybody around me because I'm no longer cruel towards them. I'm inviting them into the same relationship that I have with my father. It's incredible. It's incredible. We can let our lives be driven by fear. Maybe you won't get to the point that Pharaoh was, but it will lead you to be cruel towards others. It will lead you to be in that prison cell of fear. Or you can embrace the love of your heavenly Father. So I just want you to write these three things down, then we've got to get out of here. They're all T words, okay? So how, how are you going to, and I said, here's how to punch fear in the face. Because some of you just, need to, you just need to be done with it. And just do, give that, knock. Jesus gave the knockout blow to fear on the cross. It's time for you to embrace it. So the first thing is take God at his word. How are you supposed to know and trust God if you don't know his promises? We need to get our faces in the book and learn the promises of God. Um, the second T word is that we need to trust the hand of God. When things in our life don't seem to make sense, we need to trust that God's in control. When there's things that are normal, natural reaction will be fear. We need to remember that even though we don't understand how all this stuff is coming together, God does. He knew us before we were born, and he's going to take care of us. So we can trust his hand even when we don't know what it's doing. And the final thing is we can turn our fear over to God. Jesus bore the sins of the world on the cross. There is nothing left to fear. That thing that you're struggling with, that thing in the back of your mind that you just can't get over and you can't let go, God's calling you to give it to him tonight. That's about all my wisdom teeth can take. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, but guys, make, make tonight the night that you... Embrace your heavenly Father and get out of that prison cell of fear. 
so we'll pick back up with our murders next week. Um, but let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you so much. Uh, we, don't, we don't deserve your love, but you loved us first. You saw out of us something that was broken and something that was damaged, but yet you sent the best from heaven to restore our relationship with you, to bear our sin on the cross. And we can never be more grateful. And, and, and Father, I pray uh, for everyone here tonight who's struggling between that prison cell and the relationship with their Heavenly Father. Uh, Father, that they will run out of that prison cell, lock the door behind them to never go back in because you have so much more than a life of fear for us. I pray that every moment of every day we will depend on you and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.